welcome to another episode of First Strike in our brand new setup over here. Shout out to Vince for setting it up. I hope it's not lagging or we don't go under any issues. But before we start, i to give a shout out to our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, hey, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. I'm joined by Rob Dagg here. If you guys, if there's no issues and you guys are watching us live, please let us know that things are running smoothly. Uh, because or else uh, we're kind of we're kind of screwed. <laughs> we're in the dark. We'll be in the dark. We're gonna have to like reset this. this week. That's it. <laughs> um, how's it going, Rob? How's it going? Uh, life's good. Yeah, like there's like lots of spoilers. There's spoilers everywhere. Spoiler madness right now, and they're from different sets and different formats all at the same time. So a little overwhelmed, I guess, is how I'm feeling. <laughs> Uh, and Vince, uh, we haven't had you on the show uh, for a while. How, how's it going? How's it been? It's been good. I've uh, I've been enjoying the spoiler season, as always. Um, lots to talk about today, so I'm pumped. I'm also just very nervous that everything that we've set up is working, so we'll, we'll hopefully that maintains itself for the next little while, but all good, all good. thing is, I also have to shout out Brian because, I mean, he sort of forced me to bug Vince by going like, why are we going on YouTube? What's the point? Why don't we just uh, do a great audio podcast? I'm like, okay, got to give him a reason to keep this going because I believe in it. (laughs) Uh, Shouts to Sergio. Um, So for me, just a quick little talk about my past weekend. I I came out of, again, not retirement, but it just always seems like I I don't play for a while. To play a blue-white uh, at a modern PPTQ because Rob had been having success with it and other people have had success with it. And Rob even said it's a deep, like it's a pretty good deck, surprisingly good. And Alex Bianchi, GP Splinter Twin Champion, the last one, also loves the deck. He won uh, the face-to-facegames.com Niagara Open with it. So I talked to him about it and he thinks the deck is more than fine. So I picked it up, uh, made the top eight, lost in top four, felt the deck was pretty solid, but it didn't, I'm sure Rob has played many more games than me. It didn't feel busted in any way. It felt really fair, but pretty solid um, all around. Is that how you feel about the deck, Rob, or am I wrong? It's super fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've actually uh, started experimenting uh, a little bit. I haven't been playing too much modern, but um, here and there I'll, I'll try a couple changes just to try and make it a little bit more uh, unfair. Like I tried playing some you know, like some Tassiger or something like that. But uh, it doesn't seem to make the deck any better. I think, yeah, the deck's strength is that Spreading Seas is oddly good in a bunch of matchups. And uh, you just kind of, like, slow your opponent down. Don't let them do anything interesting. Cast Supreme Verdict and then kind of, like, lock up the game with a Colonnade or, or a Planeswalker. And just, just, I don't know, I guess, just that that sequence of events where you're kind of cutting them from a color and then denying the important threats, being able to answer kind of anything they play and then having a resilient threat of your own that you can dig to pretty easily is enough that it's difficult for a lot of decks to to deal with that. But it still just feels a little wrong because you're not doing anything insane. <laughs> like, none of your draws are bonkers. Like, you don't look at any of your opening hands and you're like, oh, man, I got this one in the bag. <laughs> There's a bunch of decks where you can look at your opening seven and be like, there's like a 5% chance I lose this game. 
So yeah. yeah, like you said, it lines just certain decks in the metagame line up really well against your supreme verdicts uh, to be able to clear the board. And I just like didn't feel really pumped about certain matchups and you know played the mirror, which was twice, which was a grind fest. I just played a list with like the the win conditions are like Gideon, Celestial Colonnade, Big Gideon, that five mana Gideon Jura. So all of these things are subsidized to either Path to Exile or Tectonic Edge, Ghost Quarter, all these things that you're both playing a lot of, and on top of that, some amount of Snapcaster Mage. So they're all like vulnerable to the same type of removal. And I didn't, I, I sat there at one point in the middle of the game, I felt like I was ahead, but I'm like, not really. And now I'm running out of resources. And the only reason I won, I, I won with zero cards in my library, is because the, the game was so mentally taxing that my opponent, uh, during my last few turns, I played a tap Celestial Colonnade, my last one in the deck. And on his turn, he had the three mana Gideon, Gideon of, of Trials. And he decided to use the ability, the no combat damage on a Mystic Gate, because I think he was just like, we were so tired that, you know, he just. Ignore this celestial colony that I just played the previous turn. I untap with zero cards in my library. Well, one card I draw for turn, attack with it, expecting maybe he didn't brain fart and he had like an answer in his hand, but but he didn't. So um yeah, it just felt like we were trading each very vulnerable uh resources, uh creatures, and even post-board, I felt like it was kind of weird. I, I didn't really know what to do outside of just hoping. I had more cards in my hand, but I didn't really know what to do with them. But I ended up winning because I had some sort of Jace advantage, and I was able to win the Colony War off of the Jace, just drawing more Tectonic Edges and Ghost Quarters and stuff like that. Um, what are your thoughts? You, you had the hard road uh, having to play the Mirror in real life. My strategy online is kind of just like play faster than my opponent because there's almost like no way you can finish the match online and just time them out. <laughs> which has been successful two out of three uh, matches that I've had to play the mirror. It's like not very hard to play, to play faster than your opponent. A lot of people are kind of like multitasking. It seems or like they're doing other things in the beginning of the match and they don't buckle down until the clock hits like 10. But at that point, like my opponent has 10 minutes and I have like 18 and it's just, it's just like, we're still in game one. There's just no way that they're going to be able to close it out. <laughs> so my entire sideboard plan in the mirror is just to make sure that the game goes uh, to like, you know, turn a million if I, if I can make it happen. Um, but yeah, it, in real life, you need to close the game out. So I, I think there's a, there's a lot of stuff you can shave, though. Like, you just bring in all your threats. I, I don't know, like, what your sideboard packet what package was. Like, I don't know if... I, I was playing Spellcrawlers for a while, and I tried, like, Geist of St. Trash. And, like, both of those seem pretty good. Geist seems, like, particularly good in the mirror when you stick it. I'm not... Like, did you have them? Or were you playing Cleek or something? Uh, the version I have just had spell callers, but uh, I could see guys just ending games, you know, fast and and. Uh, but I, I like the logic behind the spell caller. While I was playing, I, I just realized not not just because it's good against a specific matchup, because of the theory that you know they're playing against you, they're probably siding out all the removal, and now you're bringing this like problematic card that they're just like, okay, I don't have removal. But what I find interesting, Rob, with this type of strategy, actually, before I forget, is. This type of strategy has been seen over the years. Where where I first came upon it was when 
people had Bane Slayers in their sideboard. And I forget if it was blue white or not, but they were bringing it in every single matchup. And then people in the comments would be like, well, if you're bringing it in every single matchup, shouldn't it be in your main deck? And then the answer was no, because the logic was people bore out the removal and that's why you bring it in. It's better post board. But I wonder as the other opponent, if you know they're doing that, can't you do like at some point, is it just a mind games for game three possibly? So that, that's what makes it kind of tricky. Um... And they're like, you're not, like, for game two, your opponent doesn't really know what, like, they know that you're going to bring in some threats, right? But they don't know what it is. So, like, when I was splashing black, I had Lingering Souls on my board. So I could bring that in, and that was annoying for, like, Affinity and stuff, right? So I didn't have to play Stony Silence or whatever. But, like, yeah, you could bring in Geist of St. Traps. You could bring in Clique. You could bring in Ojatai. You could bring in Spell Queller. Like, there's just a bunch of different cards that you can have. And, like, depending on what removal suite, like, what deck they are, they may or may not want to keep it in. So, like, I think the Geist of St. Traft is probably uh, one of the better options um, online anyways, because there's a lot of burn. And you can, like, usually clear out their early attackers and then, like, just pressure them. And sometimes they even, like, kind of Eidolon lock themselves out of the game. <laughs> uh, trying trying to kill you. But, like, Spellcall is not good in that match because you just have... Like, they just have so many deal three to target creature or player, right? So they're going to keep them all in. But, like, if you're seeing a lot of, like, green-black decks, well, then, yeah, like, Fatal Push is not great against your main deck, right? And they're going to be taking them all out. And then you can get, like, real sick value out of uh, Spell Queller um, when you board it in. But, yeah, like, in game three, after they see that you board the creatures in, uh, like, in real life, this would be the time where I just, like, take my sideboard and I just, like, jam it into my deck and I kind of try and soul read my opponent and be like, are you the kind of person that's going to change your sideboard plans because I beat you with two spell quellers? Or are you just going to, like, run it back, right? <laughs> so, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of, like, mind play there um, to kind of figure out where you should be. Because, like, you don't you definitely don't want to be uh, giving them mana advantage, right? Where they're just, like, fatal pushing your spell queller, getting their Liliana back, and then they're just, like, just so far ahead, right? So you're not doing it. The spell queller is, like, kind of uh, detrimental to your game plan uh, at that point, right? But if they have those, don't have those pushes, then yeah, obviously it's pretty sweet. So we work on your soul reading, man. <laughs> um, what's interesting is that you mentioned cards that are not like spell spell is like delicate to removal, but you mentioned like Geist and Ojatai. Those those have X proof, right? So it's not like you're taking advantage of the whole removal thing in those examples. And would it be fair to say that you would think I would think eighty five percent just read a sideboard guide and they just keep it in uh, for game three. I'm pretty sure they just most of the time shuffle the same uh, 75 and you can, to 60 rather, and you can get an edge by by just deviating a bit and taking advantage of the fact that they're probably submitting the same 60 in front of you. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's very likely to happen. But like if you're playing a card that's kind of weird, that's not expected from them, they may, well, not they may, but they're more likely to deviate from their stock sideboard plan if you're doing something that's also considered unusual, right? But if you're doing something very stock, like they're expecting you to board in clique, but they're not sure, so they don't do, you know, they just board how they're supposed to, and then they see it, they're just like, eh, that's not like, you know, maybe they don't change anything, right? Because it's just kind of expected. They feel like they can beat it anyways, but if you're doing something weird like Ojitai, then they might be like, uh, maybe I do need to keep those paths in, I guess. <laughs> kind of deals with Gideon, too, so I mean, they might have kept it in anyways, but yeah, uh, the, the sideboarding in Modern is is 
probably where a lot of people lose most of their their points. I think it's is very difficult, and that's why you see people that are heavily rewarded for playing their deck for the last six years and just like know their matchups. It's like everyone's best advice for modern is know your matchups, <laughs> and this is why. I'm just gonna wrap this up so don't bore people blue white with two quick things. <laughs> uh, one. Knowing your matchup is great because I lost in the top four against a Vizier Devoted Druid deck that I've never played against, only like sort of casually looked at Deckless with. And while I think he had a Pilgrim and Devoted Druid, this is like turn three on, I'm on the play, I play a tap land, I pass with two mana up. On his turn, he cracks a fetch land, and I'm like, I have Shadow of Doubt. I'm like, I think I get him or something. I just play it, and... He actually reacts as if I got him. Like, he's like, ah, oh, crap. And then he looks at his hand, uh, play Vizier, Ronus, kill you. If it matter, kill you. And I'm like, whoa, I just died on turn three. And uh, that felt pretty bad. And one last thing, uh, Rob, because Death Shadow is still public enemy number one for certain parts of the metagame, depending on where you play. Um, did A lot of articles think it's a favorable matchup for Blue-White. Did you think so in your experience? I've actually never played against the deck since I started playing Blue-White. And I've played probably 40 matches or something like that. It's just, like, not... I guess it's just not popular online, maybe. I don't know. I'm just avoiding it. I play, I play against a lot of Burn. I play against a lot of Eldrazi Tron and a lot of... Um, uh, there's another... Oh, a lot of Affinity, obviously, yeah. That's kind of the, most of what I see online and then you'll just get like kind of like other random decks obviously but those three affinity eldrazi tron and uh and burn are, are like i'll play at least one of them each league for sure that, that i can guarantee but yeah i haven't played against any shadow at all <laughs> but I, I could see that it would be favorable like your mana leaks are really good uh there um and your your pads are really good supreme verdicts very good against them gideon's very good against them like just your threats line up really well and they also want to work off like very little mana, like two to three lands in play, and so your spreading seas can be pretty effective if they fetch incorrectly or have like a a basic fetch hand where like they have island and then they go get blood crypt or something like that, and you just put them on island island with seas, then it, it's difficult for them to kind of do anything useful there. So uh, yeah, I, I can see how the the matchup would lean toward blue white's favor. I think if you're playing ancestral visions in the blue white deck, it probably is much more favorable uh, than if you're not. And that, that's a card I've been trying on and off. I'm not sure uh, how much I like it. With If you're in a very aggro metagame, obviously it's kind of just like blue, discard a card, go. <laughs> but against a bunch of mid-range deck, it seems it, it's good. Is it more because like their their discard spells are, are worse? Like Ancestral Vision gets a lot better because then you can just like draw into your verdict and just play it? Or Yeah, no, they're, they're like trying to one-for-one one you, right? like, the whole game, and then you just three-for-one them, like, on turn five. And then at that point, you, you get so far ahead that it's very difficult for them to come back from that. Um, but, like, Ancestral Visions has its flaws, too, right? Like, if you if you discard, or if you cast Ancestral Vision on turn one against Mono Red, and then you die on turn four without drawing those three cards, then you know, it's not a very effective use <laughs> of the cards in your deck. So I've, I've been leaning a, away from it. Because I haven't been playing against, against decks like Jund and Death Shadow, but yeah, like any deck that's going to play like Lil and Thoughtseize and stuff, like Ancestral Visions, is, is very, very good against them. Okay. Um, I felt like uh, the matchup played out um, more even than I thought. It might have been my specific build. And I just want, again, 
back to knowing your matchups, knowing the decks, like knowing whether to spring seeds the black source or red source is important because a lot of players afterwards, since I wanted to talk over the matchup, told me they would usually spreading seeds the red sources because they have fewer of them, and, and that makes sense to me. The reason the matchup fell a lot close is because I, I was getting my Celestial Colony fatal push, so I was always in this awkward spot where I've sort of stabilized but couldn't finish them and would allow them to draw into spells to kill me. But let's move on. Um, a couple of weeks or even months ago, Watsi had announced that last Thursday, randomly Thursday in the middle of the day, that they were going to reveal or show off the first time MTG Arena. Uh, of course, like we, we joked about knowing no one would pay attention to the Thursday, but of course, being at face-to-face -face games, I, I know that it was happening. And so I was like rushing to message these guys, Rob, Doug, Vince, and Brian about it. And like, oh, let's, let's watch this thing. And uh, what were your first impressions? Let's get you in here, Vince. What were your first impressions Hello. of MTG Arena? Uh, so I didn't have the luxury of being able to watch the whole reveal live. Um, so, as you guys might remember, I was frantically spamming our group chat, being like, what's going on? What is it? What is it? Um, but I did go and watch the footage, some of the footage, and then go read the article, and my understanding of it, based on that, is that it's essentially uh, a much more polished version of Duels that has the full games rule engine in it. That's, they're trying to basically create a much more exciting visual version of MTGO um, to long-term become the eSports platform that Magic has played on. What that actually means, I don't think the full details are out yet. It's going to be coming out with just standard and draft, and then their goal is to integrate more and more cards as they go on. Um, to be honest, I'm not huge on this idea, and it, it's more of a philosophical thing than like the actual implementation of the idea, because I think they actually did a pretty good job trying to do what they did, which was make magic more visually appealing. I think the problem is that the idea of them doing that is wrong, right? Um, I think it's pretty obvious to everyone that their goal here is to make magic look more kind of like a Hearthstone kind of game where, you know, they're looking at the numbers in terms of viewership for Hearthstone, they're looking at the involvement of the community in Hearthstone and, like, how kind of integrated that is as an eSport, and they're going, well, magic's a card game, there's no reason why magic can't be that. And that's kind of myopic, I think, because... There's a huge difference between Magic and Hearthstone that's not really, like, it, that, that creates a lot of incompatibilities with Magic trying to do what Hearthstone does. Um, Magic cards are more complex, they just are, by default. Even just from a text perspective, if you look at the amount of text on a Magic card on average, compared to the amount of words that are on a Hearthstone card, it's probably at least double the amount of words, if not more. And trying to put that on a platform where you have all this flashing images and like cards are zooming across the screen, it just doesn't lend itself well to that kind of idea. And we saw that in the, in the in the video, right? Like, I think it was Gabby that played a hostage taker, and it like went up on the side of the screen, and you basically couldn't read what it did. Like, I don't even think she knew what it did. Like, it was just there was way too much text for it, for it to make sense on that platform. You couldn't tap lands. Like, there wasn't enough room for them to even turn cards sideways. These are all things that are, are like in individual amounts aren't that problematic but when you add them all together and you understand like these are all things that are fundamental to magic it makes this transition that they're trying to do a lot more problematic um i also don't think it's one they need to do i think they're kind of misguided in thinking that um 
this is the way to go to make Magic successful in the future. Magic doesn't have to be considered an esport to work. We've seen it in the past function as a card game, and people are still watching Pro Tours, and people are still watching GPs with people just playing cards, physical cards on a table. And that's not even optimized. Like, there's so many things they could do to make that experience better, rather than just trying to push this new digital idea. Um, so yeah, I don't really have an issue with how they've gone about making this product. I think it's, if your idea is we need to make Magic Digital, this is how you do it. I just don't think they need to do that, and I think there's a lot of sort of unforeseen future problems that are going to arise, such as things like this issue with text. Like, are they going to start bifurcating paper magic and digital magic for this? Like, are they going to start making uh, game types and new game modes that only exist on digital? Like, what does that do to the game? Are people going to start playing this game exclusively and stop playing paper magic? Like, these are all things that have serious implications for the game on the whole that... I don't know if they've been seriously considered. I hope they have, um, because I don't think the ending is going to be 100% great for Watsi if they haven't thought this through very clearly. Okay. Rob, you want to jump right in? or Sure. <laughs> yeah, so when I was watching this... I had some positive light first. <laughs> Okay, so when I was watching it, I really didn't like the way it looked. Um, it just, it wasn't polished enough for me. But after kind of like letting it sit and simmer with me for the, you know, the week, um, and I, thanks, Carr, for for reminding me that it was actually streaming. So I got to actually tune in and, and watch it while it was going on because I completely forgot because it was such a random time of the day uh, during the week. Um that I think what they're trying to do is they are not admitting, but it's kind of like they are admitting that they don't know how to make Magic Online visually appealing and workable in a smaller form factor space. So what they've done is they've taken duels, they've added the rest of the rules to make the cards in standard work, or at least the cards in Ixalan, rather, and what they're going to do over the next 12 months is they're going to add each set in standard as it comes up. And they're going to take a bunch of feedback from the community about what they're doing wrong, which at this point is like a lot, obviously, right? Because they, it, I mean, this might as well just be duels, right? Like they just kind of reskinned the battlefield of duels and added, you know, more Hearthstone like effects, which, like, in terms of like the game design perspective, is not really a big change from what duels was already right like you've added the rest of the phases now the gaming engine can process complex game states but other than that like it's kind of the same <laughs> it's kind of the same game that duels was and i'm not even sure that it looks better than duels uh to be honest um so anyways you know the uh i forget what the, the lead designer's name is but he's basically like the new worth Wolpart, it seems like <laughs> he's going to be taking all all of the the twitter beatings over the next 12 months but he was very interested in everyone's feedback. Like whenever uh, Nate and um, Jimmy or whatever asked some question from the Twitch chat about like, what's going to happen to this? And how is this going to be done? He's like, yeah, we want your feedback. We want your feedback. We want your feedback. Okay, so I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they might actually be doing this correctly. Only because I'm not sure how I would solve this problem. It's a very complex problem. Like Vince obviously doesn't even like the fact that we're exploring magic on uh, digital media in, in this way. 
and he, he might be right because I'm not sure like how to make it workable. But hopefully, the hive mind of the magic community plus a bunch of other people that I'm sure they're hoping get interested in at least this scaled down version of magic uh, through their new uh, interface can interact uh, and give them the feedback they need to make the changes so that it's actually useful workable and you know good if you will right and i think that their plan would be that whenever the like in fall 2019 so basically uh or sorry fall 2018 so this time next year they would i would be expecting them to go live with their first um production release because they'll have just added uh the fall set which will now they'll have all of the standard sets in the card file for MTG Arena. So like they actually don't have to go back and do um, Kaladesh and Amonkhet because they're in beta and they say, oh, we're just Ixalan forward. And then they do Rivals and they do whatever. They're going to call the Dominaria sets. And then they do the Fall set and then they go, okay, now that we've done this Fall set, we actually have all of standard. Now you can actually play standard. Now we'll go production and this is the way things are going to be. And I'm just like hoping that you know, enough feedback comes in where they can figure it out. But I'm not sure exactly how they're going to do it. And if they do figure it out, that's not good for MPGO. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you that much. So uh, even though they're, they're trying to give people faith in both products, I'm uh, very worried about Magic Online. Because if MTG Arena uh, does figure it out, you can be damn sure that MTG Online is, is on the path to retirement real quick. It just doesn't make any sense. Which, when you think about it, is such an odd strategic perspective, right? Because if you think about what MTGO is for Magic, even though it's completely unpolished and it's, like, not very well done, it's a huge cash cow. And it's clearly, like, very minimal effort on their part to keep it going. Or maybe it's a lot of effort and they're just not very good at keeping it up. Um, but either way, like, the fact that they've now created a product that directly competes with a product that they currently already have and are trying to tell us that you know we're going to keep both why like it just it's such an odd this is why i'm not huge like like i said i, I really like how it looks and i like what they've made i just don't understand how it aligns with magic is like their business strategic perspective it just doesn't seem to make any sense with what they're trying to do so yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, I think it's smart for them to release the product, show us what it looks like, and go, what do you guys think? But with all due respect, like, you're a subsidiary of Hasbro. Like, you're a large company. You should understand what you should be doing and probably execute on it, rather than just decide on, hey, let's just make this thing and see what people think. Because if you do it wrong, it can have very serious consequences for your brand. And I don't know if they've thought that through. It doesn't seem like they have anyway. And that's the part that worries me. I'm I'm, not, I'm now conflicted, guys. I have to admit I'm conflicted. We did it. We split KYC. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> I'm conflicted because I don't know what the approach, and they probably figured it out the approach philosophically is. I know a lot of people got angry on Twitter or or just visibly upset. I guess that, and then I I talked about. Uh, I made a tweet that the animations. Um, of all the things, obviously reminding me of Yu-Gi-Oh in a way where you know you play a card, the creature pops up, or um, when they're fighting, it reminds me of returning magic into more like battle chess, something I played like ten years ago, where it's like these pieces, chess is just this classical game of pieces that don't like physically 
do anything. But then Battle Chess, they came out where when you capture the piece, there's this animation of these guys uh, fighting and you capturing uh, a piece. And the reason it, uh, I struggle with this because chess, like the world championships and stuff like that, it's not like they are trying to make it like super visually esportsy at all. And I feel like it would offend probably uh, all the top players, any players that I guess are conservative or whatever, right? Uh, you get what I'm trying to say, Vince? Like, yeah, of them, course. Turning it into magic as well. Some people take it really seriously and, and turning it into more like a video game kitty to them, uh, childish uh, version bothers them. And I can't say that that's not a valid point. Uh, right, Vince? Yeah, I think when I think of where I could see magic really succeeding in terms of production and in terms of viewership, I know Magic doesn't like being compared to this, but I think of poker. And I think of a game that isn't trying to be flashy, it's not trying to do anything exciting or cool on the screen, but the information is very clear and very easy for you to digest. Even though the game of poker, it seems simple, but it's complex, there's a lot going on, and the people who are talking about it, when you watch it on TV or you watch a stream, know what they're talking about, know how to distill information, and are very good at telling you you know, a situation, telling you what's going on. And the cards show up on the screen and you can see everything. Could you imagine if we were watching a pro tour and you had just had a screen where you could see everyone's hand and every time they got a new card, you could just look at the cards like on your screen? Or you could look at a battlefield and click on the battlefield and see all the cards in play? That, to me, would make Magic a much more interesting viewing experience and entice a lot more people to watch. Or if we had people who are casting it that we're kind of doing a better job of explaining what was on the battlefield. I mean, we've kind of harped on this before, but, you know, I miss the days of, of Patrick Sullivan and Cedric Phillips because they were people that did a very good job of, you know, talking about what was happening every turn, keeping it interesting and keeping me engaged. And I think that goes a long, long way in keeping viewership going. And I don't think making animations and making it look pretty is how you get people to, to stick around. It's just not a long term and it doesn't align with what magic is magic isn't a game of flashy you know cool stuff it's a it's a strategy game it always has been it won't ever not be you can't skin magic and then suddenly it's hearthstone like that's it's just not how it works and that's the part that i'm worried about is that they're trying to do that and long term let's just hypothetically say that works right let's say magic this this product is great everyone loves it so now all you've done is now position digital magic closer to your direct competitor instead of distancing yourself and creating your own market. You've gone, I want to go after the literal only other large competitor in my space, who's already established themselves very well and has a big following. I want to go directly after the people watching their game. Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you leverage your own strengths, which is our game is more complex, our game is more strategic, and try to get those people who might not have you know, a game that they're following? You're going directly after the people that already have a game to watch. It's just, I don't know. I could rant about this for hours, so I'm just going to say I don't like the idea from a strategic perspective, but it looks cool. I'm just going to continue my positivity. And the reason I reacted so uh, with so much positive is because, I'll, as opposed to most people on MTGO, I actually like MTGO, and I still play it. I play League, and it works fine for me. It does what it does i have almost zero complaints outside of certain features i wish existed that they've took forever to add for example i was like 
surprised to see that they finally add an option where you trade with someone you can just trade your whole binder you don't have to like go back and click and stuff like that or um i don't think they've added make specific amount of tickets available like a lot of these little things um that i wish they had they like it feels really archaic and it looks archaic even though it was freshly designed whereas this um shout outs to gabby and amaz for sounding enthusiastic and really enjoy it looked like they were enjoying themselves testing it out and it looked great better than anything like any mtgo that i've seen that, that i would expect from a company that has put out the mtgos that we've seen in the past so i was really impressed the fact that it was working and all these abilities were smooth they felt no lag a lot of cars had these like cool animations that i would enjoy if i was um you know, if I was playing it, I honestly think that uh, I was really impressed overall, but I told the guys in the chat, maybe it's because my expectations going in were so low uh, that I was impressed that it was even, like, that we can even compare it to a Hearthstone or, or Eternal or other uh, games that look similar. The fact that it didn't look like it was going to bug out at any point, uh, to me, was super impressive. Um, but for me, it, 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 there's a lot of questions in my head. Uh, if they're going to keep this and build standard on top of that, does that mean they're going to build mechanics in real life that are more uh, conducive, that are more like made so that you know the board state can't too, go too crazy? Are they going to keep this client in mind while they're designing um, card mechanics for the real life sets? Um, did that question cross your mind, Rob? Yeah, and Vince kind of talked about it. We were like, we were just chatting about it. Uh, I don't know, last week, I think, sometime, yeah. we were just chatting about random stuff, and, and this was a topic that came up, and it's like, what if design changes because they're like, hey, if you do that mechanic, like, we can't do that given how our UI has evolved in a way that allows us to maintain the type of simplicity you need to run this on a five-and-a-half-inch smartphone, if, if they get there, for example, right? And it's kind of like, if that starts happening, like, that's not you know, maybe a great space to be in, right? The magic is always about breaking its rules and pushing its boundaries and doing weird, new, interesting things that you would never think they'd do. And if you start putting, like, restrictions on on that, like, unne unnecessarily just to kind of meet the needs of a platform that we're not sure if anyone really wants or not yet, then, yeah, the game... You know, the game likely suffers. In some way, it suffers for sure, I guess, right? At the very least. So I think it's interesting that um, this was like that big announcement. We didn't know what it was. But kind of like Amaz being involved in all this stuff, like getting this PT highlight and invite and stuff, and then being the lead, one of the lead streamers for uh, the debut of MTG Arena, it really shows like Vince is actually correct, as much as I don't want to super admit it. But, like, they are trying to pull Hearthstone people, right? Like, this is why Amaz has been involved with Watsi so much over the last three to four months or, or whatever it's been. It's because they think that he, like, their investment in him for the PT and for this was to try and draw Hearthstone players into MTG Arena, um, which is just kind of weird to me, to be honest. Because that means in their head they're thinking, like, our goal is to pull the Hearthstone community here. That's our goal. Their goal is not to make the best magic product that can be serviced to you on a digital medium. And that 
yeah, that's probably a little bit disturbing from a product development perspective, I think. Because it's a... They have illusions. <laughs> or delusions, maybe. Yeah. You made a really good point that I just want to kind of expand on a little bit. One of, like, when we were talking about how design is going to be influenced by the client itself, like, you can automatically tell that that's the case for Hearthstone. But the difference between the two of them is that Hearthstone is only being pulled from a digital perspective, right? Like, they can make things like Mad Bomber or Syndragosa and just, like, these are cards that do random things. You can't do that in Magic because Magic is being pulled now not only from a digital side in terms of design but also is still going to be constrained by paper so you're never going to be able to create mechanics or you know effects as interesting as digital only tcgs because you don't have the same level of freedom to work with so if you're going after literally the biggest digital card game and you're already kind of you know going in with a handicap because you can't compete with them on the same level in terms of freedom of design and you're not the first mover into that space and you have a smaller budget apparently because i mean i don't want to i mean it looked great don't get me wrong but it didn't look like hearthstone it didn't look as polished i mean hopefully they can fix that over time but realistically i just don't see how long term this works i just don't and i want it to and i really like it because i love magic and you know, one of the reasons why I come back to MTGO after playing Hearthstone for 20 minutes is because I get bored of the game and it's super straightforward and simple to me. And Magic is obviously a lot more engaging and interesting. Um, my worry is that they're just going to, like you said, keep sort of iterating closer and closer to to uh, creating a game like Hearthstone. And I don't think that's a good idea in any capacity. And I don't think a lot of people would think that. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. We got an hey, interesting jump, next two Before years. we jump off this... What I want them to do is I want them to add just all of the creatures to MTG Arena so that I can play Momir Basic on my phone. That's all I want. Like, that would be great. And yeah. I, might, I might even purchase that app. Like, if it was 5 or $10, I would buy that. That'd be, that'd be Momir Basic is sweet. And I feel that uh, it is simple enough, usually, that... Um, in its interactions, the MTG Arena could support it, but they need to get all those creatures in there. So uh, hopefully that's where it ends up. It ends up as a Momir Basic <laughs> game. That Fingers crossed. But their budget has gone to make <laughs> Momir Basic. Um, I'm just going to read a comment from Cole Clark giving the monsters opportunities to slap the Sony Magic content creators, but I don't know. He just has a better draw. I mean, that's it. I don't feel like, uh, yeah. I don't feel slighted. I've been doing content since 2010, and even if I was more popular than I am now, I would expect them to go for whatever could draw the most people to use as their as their main person. I'm I'm kind of happy. I think it's a it's actually a good strat. Um, one last thing I wanted to mention, uh, Vince, but it escapes my mind. Okay, yeah, you talked about how um, I didn't even think about this. We we mentioned it before, but the, the whole comparison with poker is interesting because I enjoy watching poker. Um, but they do have, I don't know how much money they have or the technology they invested to have those cams like somewhere in yeah. their tables where you can just like show, like flash the cards and it could register. And pocket if cam. that technology exists now, but uh, Rob, was that you? The pocket cam. Right? Yeah. And if that, Technology can exist for magic somehow, which I find might be too hard unless um, 
What would be really cool if they had this machine that not only like tracked, but also like shuffled the deck or something. I don't know, like <laughs> like so that it could so that it could know the order of every card, right? So it could show. Oh yeah. So good, like we we'd have knowledge of like oh he's gonna draw it in two turns. Ah! Yeah, that'd be sweet. But that's like pretty well, future far. I, I didn't mean us. I didn't mean us. I meant like the producer, like the production team has access to oh, all the sure, cards yeah, and yeah. all the orders. Um, maybe we could do it to the audience too. Like, oh man, <laughs> he's gonna top deck that card and win. Um, or like, there's nothing. No, I don't think people want that. <laughs> but <laughs> the production team can at least be ready so that, like, okay, they know they're gonna draw this card, so they can put it re ready to be put on the screen right away as he draws it, he or she draws yeah. it. So, you know, maybe, but I, I will say, I don't see like. Sorry. Yes. Just on the point you were making about being able to read cards, that technology exists. It's there. It needs massaging for sure. But given the amount of money I'm sure Watsi just spent on Arena, if they had put that towards, you know, creating cameras for their pro tours and GPs that have screen reading software, or image reading software to figure out what kind of cards are on the table, 100% could be managed. They could also have, I mean, they change the frame of their cards specifically so that they could be read, right? Wasn't that in the article they made? Like, they changed the border of their cards so that a screen reader or a, a camera could very easily identify each individual card as they come up. I was assuming this was the reason why, so that long-term they could, you know, very easily snap show you what's in someone's hand or what's on the battlefield. But it's been, what, five years now and they haven't implemented anything? So, I don't know. Like, that is the future I wanted to see for Magic. That That's what I wanted Magic Digital Next to be, was look at how much better and more integrated our, our videos are getting for in just terms of integrating good technology, rather than, here's another Duels of the Planeswalkers that we're now going to replace MTGO with. That's, I don't know. I get, I get really angry when I think about this, and I'm trying to keep <laughs> it civil, but it's hard. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Like, like you have this glass... I mean, the spot right next to where you put your deck, where you draw, and, like, every player on stream is forced to, like, before they pick it up, put it, put it in their hand, they, they have to put it down in that yeah. spot. Card, card reader reads it, and then they pick it up. Just like how poker, you, you actually have to, like, they ask every player to just, like, peel it like that so the camera gets it, and then and then they can proceed. Um, so, yeah, yeah, interesting. Like, I feel like they decided this way was the way to go, and, and the better esports presentation moving forward and yeah i'm conflicted because i see like i see both sides i see a more enjoyable standard testing platform perhaps uh than than i have now uh, especially if it's like free to play in, in certain aspects so i see a lot of pros from this and then i see a lot of cons where like because it's a game that's you know trying to be two things trying to be everything at once like you said vince sort of and it's hard to, but for me, because it, it can be everything, it's actually hard for me to think what the best strategy is. Because, like, it could be the coolest, like, the upgraded version of Hearthstone. It could uh, still stick to its roots and have improved uh, coverage. But which way do you want to go? And, and I wouldn't know. If I was, like, I mean, I'd probably have to go... If I was the head of the company, go where the money takes me and whatever, like, my market research has shown. But outside of that, I don't know philosophically which way I would go. Um, so that's why I'm conflicted. I think that's exactly what they did is, did, is did what you just said, is they looked where the money was. And they said, oh, Hearthstone's making X dollars. We're not making that much money. Let's try to go after them. But 
you got to understand that, that that you can't just go after the biggest fish, right? It doesn't. It, it's if you're not going to work strategically, like if you're not going to generate enough clients to to you know make that money, you're just not. You're not going to get these people. You're just you're not going to be Hearthstone at their own game. I'm sorry, it's just an inevitability. So. Maybe they can. I am incredibly pessimistic about their ability to do that, but and hats off them if they can. Hearthstone was designed to be mobile first, right? Exactly. Like everything in the game's creation and its aesthetic is knowing that it's going to be played on a phone. Like and even if even they got if, to take that into consideration when designing the game. So that's like not a luxury Magic has. Right. And even <laughs> if Magic were to create an entirely new product to try to compete with Hearthstone, they're just like every other mobile game now. They just have a better IP. It doesn't make them a winner. Like it's it's just so unrealistic. I think that I'm just. I would rather them do that though than do MTG Arena. I think. Right. Exactly. I would much rather them create a product that isn't Magic. That's like here's you know Gideon and Nissa and all that kind of stuff in a new mobile game. That's a card game. But it just also seems so weird to just not commit those resources to making what Magic already is, which is a great game more functional from a viewer perspective. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, any last words, Rob, before we move on? Yeah, it's all just kind of it's just kind of crazy. I mean, I, I don't know how to solve the pocket cam problem. I think that like, you know, being at the, the feature match table in an event, like a large event like that, there's just like some setups that are not really conducive to it. And, you know, in poker, you like you kind of have a routine, right? You get your cards and people are like going around the table, they're batting, they're thinking about their plays. You have like the time and like the downtime in your brain to like show your cards to the camera and put them down. You look at them at the same point, right? So you, everyone looks at them the same way and you just put them down. And it's not hard to remember you have like eight of diamonds, you know, jack of clubs or whatever, right? It's kind of like you, you, if you play a lot of poker, you like, you know what you're doing with that right. hand for the most part, when you, like, given what's going on at the table, right, where you are in the, in the event. But with Magic, it's like, I could have, there could be 30 permanents on the battlefield, my opponent could have four unknown cards in hand, I could have six cards in hand, and I draw a card. Like, I don't want to be really thinking about, like, okay, I need to take this card, and to put it to a specific spot, which, like, also kind of, like, wastes, you know, two or three seconds. It's taking up, you know, not a lot of mental energy, but it's like, I'm out of my normal routine from how I'm playing, right? Like, I wouldn't do that if I was just, like, playing round seven at some random table or whatever, right? So it's, like, kind of a, a process change there that I think... It, it's just, like, it's just weird for Magic because there's a lot of already, like, just meant, like taxing your mental ability to just keep up with a bunch of stupid information that is tedious already. And now there's just, like, one more thing that you need to kind of, like, worry about. I feel like they need to do it in a passive way, which is probably why they haven't done anything that's changing like the process for you know requirements of what you need to do while you're in game in a feature match other than put your lands behind your spells or creatures because you know that that change was absolutely required and anyone who puts their lands in front of their creatures is a maniac is it's almost as bad as mainboard to be honest but like they're doing other stuff too right they're already kind of forcing you to do weird things in, in a in a feature match like now you have a headset um they're forcing people to arrange their cards in a specific way they're forcing you to use specific tokens like this would be a pretty minor thing to be like oh ps whenever you draw a card just put it here for a second and then pick it up yeah but those those things are like are, are passive right like the headset's actually good it drowns out all the noise that's going on yeah i, I, I get what you're yeah. saying 
cool. <laughs> Let me wear my headphones when I'm playing. I'm happier that way, right? And like the tokens, like you don't need to do anything. The judge just comes and replaces them. You like can stick anything anywhere, and they oh, there's a zombie. They're just they start rifling through like stacks of cards to like make sure that the viewers know what's going on. But I, you know, I can put two ripped pieces of paper on there, and a judge will come by and and clean that up for me. So it's not like I, it's not mental energy that I need to worry about as a player. But like if you need to, you know, put cards in a certain way to make sure that everyone can read it. And then what happens when you when they don't see it, right? Are they yeah, like talking to like you in your headset? Right? It's like, hey Rob, uh, we didn't see what you drew. Can you like put it no, in the camera? Like, not, Go right? away, Marshall. Trying to play. No, but they can set up cameras in such a way that they can see your hand. Like if they can't do that, they shouldn't be covering a tournament. Like I'm sorry. Yeah, I think that's what they need to do. I, th I think they just need like a uh, a better camera array around the feature match table yeah. so that you get a lot more angles on, on what's going on. And even that, I don't think it's going to be 100. But I think that's where they need to be. Um, yeah. Just so I, they I get think, the info. Rob, what, what you said, though, like, not everyone agrees with you. I'm agreeing with you when it comes to, like, they're going to keep having... And like poker, where it's, like, all natural and everyone's... Do, you're doing... You're picking your cards anyway, whereas... Imagine you're adding all these things, and not everyone actually likes the headsets. I've talked to players who have been in featured players, and, and they hate. Sometimes they feel the headset might be too tight. They like playing like with nothing attached to them. So there are certain people that that prefer it to just being as close as the experience of just playing the game as possible. So, anyways, that's our thoughts from the three of us, and we're gonna move on. We're gonna move on quickly to tackle a quick question from our first strike nation group by Sebastian Lachance about. Uh, five round PPTQs and how if we have any comments about people who go to 3-0 and then they're able to double draw, which is only 60% of the tournament. I think the reason I wanted to say we, we want to tackle this quickly because we have done this topic before, I think, uh, at a greater length. But my quick opinion is that I sort of agree with them, I, but I don't know what to do about it. I think uh, because, sure, the, the, the player maybe deserves it because he went 3-0, he won his first three matches, but at the same time, Magic has a ton of variants. It's not hard for any random person to go 3-0. And what I would like, uh, as with GPs in any tournament, is that I think the more games of Magic, this is my opinion, that you can jam, uh, have people play in a certain, in the same amount of rounds, is good. I would like it. That, that would mean that more it's more likely that uh, the better player, because there's more games of Magic being played. So that to that's the main reason that there's more Magic being played. There's more rounds to determine who the ultimate victor is, and I would be happier with a system like that. But I don't really know how you're going to do that with 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 the game. How you're going to change that? So, Rob. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I don't think that you can you can update this in any meaningful way at a competitive tournament or like a competitive rules enforcement level or, or higher because like how are you gonna it, it's so difficult to to police intentional or people like if you say no one's allowed to draw everyone's gonna play it's so hard to police like when people are slow playing and forcing a game to a draw you just like you put the players in these awkward spots where they want to draw um, but they can't. And it's just like ingrained into the system now, right? Like, it's a thing that happens because every game can't come to a conclusion. So if they got rid of draws com completely and we had a game where you can't get a draw, then sure, then 
you can eliminate the intentional draw, right? And then no one can also unintentionally draw. So it doesn't really put anyone in an awkward spot. And then everyone's always playing to get the best result that they can, right? And like Watsi's already had this problem and tried to solve it with the modified play draw rule. I don't even know if it's called modified anymore. It's probably just the top eight play draw rule now where like your option to play or draw is based on your seed in top eight. So if you're the higher seed in the match, then you have the option to play or draw, right? And, and that was their solution to disincentivizing draws in later rounds of the tournament. And it definitely has worked. Like I've seen at GPs, people, you know, even like not like good friends, but like loose friends, you see them or people that, you know, are acquaintances or know each other um, talk about like whether or not they should play or draw. And the guy's like, you know, if if you give me a draw now, like I, I'm in, right? Like I'm just in. And then, you know, you get to see whether or not the person on the other side who's definitely in already, even with a loss, is like, uh, you know, I'd rather just be first seed, to be honest. And that gives me the best chance to win this GP. And that, that's kind of what I want. So, sorry, man, you're going to have to win your next round, I guess. And, uh, and I think that that's fair, right? Like that, that, I think that's enough incentive. At the PPTQs, like, yeah, it's going to be different. You're kind of just... It doesn't matter as much. The stakes are lower, and you just kind of want to like guarantee your spot. Everyone's like third through sixth usually, and you have two hours to go get something to eat now. And that, whatever, <laughs> that seems like a reasonable perk for having, uh, you know, variance right on your side for the first three rounds of the event. So I, I'm okay with it. I don't think there's anything you can do do about it. I mean, I, I would probably play the fifth round, to be honest. I would draw and then play the fifth round, since you're you're pretty much locked for top eight with one draw anyways. I, I would play to try and be first seed. Uh, same here. Um, I think that's my general philosophy. I, I don't think it can change much. It's just that the guy that's... It's like you're, you're adding incentives to play, but, like, people are fearing the loss a lot, right? They, they just, you know, they just don't want to miss top eight more than they care about the incentive. They just want to lock top eight. There's many reasons outside of just like just feeling like a lot of people just want to feel like they accomplished something that day. Oh, I made top eight. And just to have a chance of, of missing it to me, like there's like a psychological thing there. It's like, yeah, you know, it, it might be their first top eight, right? It might be their second top eight of, of their career. And they're just like really ecstatic about it. And to risk that, uh, there's not much to them. It's not much upside going on the play. Like to them, it's like, who cares? Right. Yeah, I mean, just get rid of top eight, right? That, that solves the problem. If there's no top eight, then you don't have people doing all these weird things to just try and squeeze into some kind of an arbitrary bracket so that they can, you know, make cash and then <laughs> work from there. <laughs> that, that's kind of the, the impetus for people wanting to, to meet this threshold, right, is that you've created this threshold. Uh, in my head, I was like, why don't... I know this would never work and the, the, the casual community would never accept it was like Evo, just double elimination, but people want to play X amount of rounds. Uh, they don't want to go home after like losing twice or whatever, or they want to be able to fight for top 16 or, or whatever. It's just the, the more casual or people just want the tournament, the sense that the tournament should last longer. And maybe they just want, also don't want, you know, they like the status quo enough. They don't want it to radically change. But, you know, that would be something that I would be happy with where, you know, you're, you're incentivized to play. Uh, but, of course, that also, how are you going to solve draws there, though? Like, how do people get eliminated if the game takes forever? So, again, 
lots of issues with that. And right now, it's it's the best that we have. Uh, Vince, any quick I, comments on this? I'm super down with double Lin, by the yeah, way. Yeah, like <laughs> it's funny because before you came to me, that was the first thing I was going to say was you have to completely change the tournament structure in order to make draws not relevant. And the one I was thinking of was double Lin because that's like the most clear way to create a tournament where people still get to play after a loss um, and you don't have draws. But yeah, honestly, I think with tournaments that are smaller where you can play half your rounds and draw in, it kind of sucks, but it's kind of the nature of the beast, right? There's not much you can do about it beyond completely revolutionizing how tournaments are run um, in terms of the structure of them. So I don't really see a fix, and I don't think it's a problem that's big enough for... Um, any serious considerations to be made to actually adjust yet. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys. I don't think it's a big problem. Okay, uh, one last topic before we, we reveal the previews is uh, someone on our First Strike podcast Facebook page wanted us to comment on the Magus of the Moon Blood Moon changes uh, in Iconic Masters release notes for Magus of the Moon. Uh, I'll just read the two quick relevant lines that uh, the, the, uh, the listener wanted us to address. If a non-basic land has an ability that applies as this land enters the battlefield or that causes it to enter the battlefield tapped or with counters, the land will lose that ability before it applies. This is a change from previous rules. And if a non-basic land has an ability that triggers when it enters the battlefield, it will lose that ability before it triggers. And certainly this is an interaction that when I played modern or possibly even standard that I was questioning all the time, like uh, what happens when I play this? and I guess this was a rule to simplify things, Rob, or am I completely off, off the wall here? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think this is a, a reasonable change to make, and it's probably how a lot of people who don't have a deep knowledge of the rules or don't play a Magic Online already thought the cards worked. So it, in the update with Iconic Masters, like it just says it for um, Magus of the Moon, but I'm pretty sure it would apply to Blood Moon. and. I wonder if it applies to other cards as well. Like if there's a some other static effect um, and then there was an as trigger with a creature or something like that, uh, like does that also change? I assume that it does, but it wasn't like 100% clear in their announcement. Probably when they do like the comp rules update with the Ixalan release, it'll probably be in there and it'll be a little more, a little more clear. But uh, I like this change. I think it is more intuitive. And it's overall just like a anytime you can simplify the disaster that is magic rules is good because it's very complicated, especially the layering. Car, did you? Yeah. Sorry, just real quick. Did you say that lands will enter the battlefield with with no counters if they should? So like a vivid land wouldn't have counters. So a dark depths would come in as a mountain with no counters on it. Right, yeah, that's right. So you could just, like, Megs of the Moon, play Dark Depths, kill your own Megas, get Merit Lage? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So that's interesting, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, you can do that with Vampire Hex Mage already, so it's like... Right, yeah. but this also punishes your <laughs> opponent, right? This is also... Sorry? This, but playing Megas of the Moon is punishing sure. your opponent at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's yeah. a real thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting, like, I, I don't know how much... Blood Moon effects get played in Legacy or something, but maybe this is a sweet new tech for uh, for lands where they just play their Dark Depths anyways, and then they look to remove your Blood Moon effect and then just end up with a Lair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is a serious change, right? <laughs> yeah. 
So that that's okay. I mean, Dark Depths is a very unfair card. Nothing good can come of it. So yeah. if it becomes overpowered and gets banned, I'm sure there would be not too many people that are sad about that. Let's see. Right. I'm actually missing missing a lot of the chat here. <laughs> I think Ben Ben uh, Feingersh definitely has like the same opinion when it comes to the the, <laughs> the drawing at the top. If you think a weaker player of my single 302 to the top eight is a bad thing, try just winning more of your own matches next time. <laughs> I think that's a, that's the a lot of people yeah. have. But uh, I also don't think I stick by my opinion. I don't think like having more magic being played is also a bad thing. So I can see like both sides. Um, before anything, before a preview card, Vincent, do we want to add anything about you know the rules? Like simplifying rules like, a lot. Sometimes actually, yeah. The one thing I wanted to add, uh, Vince, is like usually like the damage on the stack and stuff like that. Once there's someone creating these changing rules to make it simpler, a lot of the there's a lot of the community just complains like, oh, why are you making it more noob friendly? And uh, just your quick take uh, on that. There's like a fine line, right? Um, there's there's making things more clear and elegant and then there's making things simpler. And there's kind of a difference between the two. Like, um, the example of stack damage is an example of making things simpler. You've now removed something that originally existed, um, and it fundamentally changed the way cards work, right? I would imagine, or I would consider the Planeswalker legendary rule a uh, more of an elegant solution rather than a simplification. You're not fundamentally making something drastic to make the game more simple. You're just sort of unifying what legendary means and i i think that's those are the type of changes that i'm for i'm not entirely for changes that simplify for the sake of simplification in terms of making the game have less effects or less turns or less you know interactions um that being said i was totally fine with uh them removing stack damage just because it was so unintuitive but yeah when, when you see twitter explode when Whenever there's like they they do something where it seems like they're oversimplifying magic, and like there's this large uh, swath of the community that's whining about how they're dumbing down the game to a point that's just like just for the noobs. None of those people are very good at magic. Yeah. No one that's complaining about that in such a serious way is very good at magic. So even if they were doing this, you shouldn't be complaining because they're helping you. If this is what you if if this is what they're actually doing, right? Like you don't see John Finkel and those guys being like, <laughs> damage off the stack, Ugh, I'm out. <laughs> Magic's terrible or or whatever, right? So um yeah, I don't know. Keep that in mind when you read your Twitter comments. You know, you can kind of see people uh, it, there's a there's a, a loud minority that's usually in the, in the same group. <laughs> there might be like three people in the world right now who actively play this game at a level where if the rules were simplified, they'd feel cheated. Like, maybe. <laughs> maybe. So, don't feel like this game isn't, like, like you've solved it and it's too, it's not complex enough for you. That's a good point, Rob. Yeah, it's, it, and this year has been hella complex. Yeah. Like, uh... <laughs> I don't know, so... <laughs> right, let's jump to the exciting part. And I... I did think I mentioned I mentioned this on the show, Rob. What our original spoiler was supposed to be, right? I think. Uh, yeah, it was the uh, one green three three, the broken wild nacodle. The yeah, old girls dryads. 
when it comes into play, your opponent can search his or her library for a basic land card, put into play Battlefield tapped, and then shuffle his or her library. I don't know if Vince was here. Vince, master of random drafts, cards, MVPs early in the season. Could this be... Uh, even you can't think this is even remotely I actually playable. Think, I think I was here, because I think what? I remember talking about I the 1-3. Yeah, about it was me and Brian. It was me and Brian when we talked about this card. And... Yeah, it's 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 awful. Actually, little hint for our preview cards: we're spoiling a card that has a similar mana cost to the old growth triads and isn't a rare and is much better to play in limited and probably constructed as well. So get hyped for that, friends. Mind All you, right. like and I, Brian, Brian's actually in the art in one of them. Yes, at least also so. Bad. Uh, let's go right ahead, Vince. Let's see if we can get this technology working. All right, here we go. Oh my god, it just looked like Watsy coverage. You did it. So, <laughs> we solved it, and I'll let you introduce the cards, Vince. You do it. You do the, uh, the honor. Okay, so Brian Gottlieb clone, Vicious Conquistador, is a black 1-2 vampire soldier. Uh, whenever it attacks, each opponent loses one life. So, this card is very aggressively slated. Uh, obviously, you want to be playing it in your aggro decks unlimited if you have one that's aggressive enough to justify it. Um, it could see some playing constructed if there is probably like a tribal deck to justify it. Um, it functions essentially as a 2-2 in the early game if your opponent's not blocking it, and gives you a little bit of extra reach in the late game, in that the opponent loses life whether or not it is being blocked, which is nice. Uh, but I wish it was a pirate, because I think there's a lot of very good Pirate Matters aggressive cards in Ixalan. So I think it just has the wrong creature type, but otherwise I think it's a card that could definitely see play in both standard and in limited. Right. Yeah, I I agree that it it's weird being a vampire. I think I mean it would make more sense if shadows was still legal. Then maybe there's enough like aggro vampires uh, where you can like go Olivia into the. Uh, Hellrider vampire, and then it's like, okay, you just want all these one-drop dorks uh, to do stuff. So that kind of makes sense. But yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if it's going to be good and limited. It'll it'll depend on what the format's like. Like, kind of looking at the card so far, I feel like this format's going to be a little more... Like, it's definitely going to be slower. I feel like it's going to be slower than than the last few formats we've had. Um, and I'm not sure that a one-mana one-two is going to like match up nicely against all the dino decks that are going to be floating around at the draft tables. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't see this replacing anything in standard right now. Uh, mostly just because it's just like, I, it's not a two one. <laughs> There's a lot of things that, that block it. Like, it, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about this card. It's, it's kind of poopy. If, if this card was a two one, it would be busted. You know that, right? Yeah, it would be it would be good. It would be busted just like a bunch of other busted cards that they've produced. I don't know. This would be too good if it was a two one in my opinion. But anyway, that's <laughs> maybe I mean they have to print a very cheap vampire lord, really, for me to get excited about this. Like the the one that put like counters on your guys, like I think that guy's gone, right? He's he was from Shadows. The the black black two two. It's like discard a card. Yeah, it was a, yeah, yeah. Storm so like, condemned. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Those are the kind of cards that like you kind of want for this. 
He doesn't really like crew anything relevant, so it doesn't work with a lot of the cards in Kaladesh. And yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah, I pretty much feel like this card just needs subtype pirate on it. <laughs> it's, it's it's very much missing that. It does look like Brian though. I'll I'll, I'll give you guys that. I was gonna yeah, I'm too distracted sort of guess the, the... <laughs> It was a gamble bits that we decided to do the preview show at the same time with a new background <laughs> setup. Thought it was gonna be worth it, and uh, hope it's you guys enjoyed fun. it. Shout out to Ben for the for the trolls. It's a learning <laughs> Good experience. Thing for well, I, I figured I figured it out. I figured this card out. So it's a one mana one two because it combos with Blood Craze Paladin. So you play this on turn one, then you just block it with literally anything. You get in for a free point of damage. It dies. And then you get the Flash and Blood Craze Paladin, and it's a 2 2. Wow. So there you go. We figured it out. We broke up. <laughs> he's, he's fodder. Damn it. You, you made me look up Blood Craze Paladin <laughs> only to get owned. <laughs> get wrecked. <laughs> oh, man. It's not wrecked. Um, how, uh, Vince, sum up to me how, how, again how you would rate these as, as uh, purely limited cards. So, oh, we, well, we, we've only talked about the creature so far, but we'll we'll get to the enchantment in a sec. I okay, think, okay. I think the creature's like a role player. I don't think you're playing it. You're not just like picking it second and playing it in every black deck. But if you have a deck that's like a 15 land curve out on four type of aggro deck, I don't know if this deck's going to exist because I don't know the format. Um, this card will function in those decks pretty well. It reminds me a lot of... The card in Kaladesh that I can't remember the name, it was a black 1-1. One, one. When it becomes tapped, you drain one. And you played that card into Skyskiff and won every game with, that you did that with. Night Market Lookout. That's the one. So that's... Yeah, yeah. Just before you, you yeah. go down your rabbit hole any further here, the thing with Night Market Lookout is that it still drains for one. I understand. I think. Does it drain for one when it becomes tapped? I think so. Or when it crews? No, I think it's when it becomes tapped. Wasn't it? We were just talking about how you thought that card would never exist. And then it did. When it becomes tapped, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Okay, so the card does exist, and it was just printed in Aether Revolt. Yeah, well, this one has Anyways, more toughness, so there's that. But that, that's basically a one... It's a, it's a one-mana, one-one lifelink unblockable, right? Like, with Sky Skiff. Yeah, so which like, is why it was good, yeah. But this card doesn't do that. It does not when it, it becomes tapped upon it loses a life. It's but, when it... This what one has a tapped? relevant creature type and an extra toughness, so I don't know if those things are going to matter. We'll see, right? Boom. Squire's coming back. <laughs> it's a 2-2. Two -two. It It'll depend like on a how many... In a lot of situations. Many, how many decks, like, when you're drafting, how easy is it to get two-drop creatures that interact with this card favorably? Yeah. Like, we, you know, we, I don't know, 50% of the set or whatever we haven't seen, right? So if, like, all of the two-drops or, like, a, por a good portion of the common two-drops are two ones, then, yeah, this card has a little more merit because, like, it's trading up on turn two. But if, like, everything's a two-two or a two-three or whatever, then it's this card is, like, right. blanked super easily. Yeah, and it's, There it, might it'll... also be, like, a kite sail type of equipment that would also make this a lot better. Like if this gets plus one plus one in flying or plus one plus one in flying or gets menace somehow, it becomes better. Yeah, um, like if they just print exactly bone saw, but it also gives it flying. Kite sail. Isn't that what kite sail is? No, yeah, kite sail is like two and two to equip or something. Oh, I mean, yeah. you, need, you need cheap equips. Sure. 
yeah. Alright, let's go All to right. the next card. Let's go to the next card. Because I think we've we've talked this one to death. Good. Do you want me to... Please? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead Tell go ahead. us what the makeshift mun- munitions do. Makeshift munitions is one in a red for an enchantment. You can pay one and sacrifice an artifact or creature to have makeshift munitions deal one damage to a creature or player. So there's been a ton of variants of, of cards like this, right? Like, I think the closest one to this was, was it called Goblin Fodder or something? That allowed you to sack creatures? Or Goblin Bombardment or something like that? There was Goblin Bombardment and then Raid Bombardment? Maybe? Something like anyway, that. There's been a bunch of cards that are very similar to this, but I think this is one that's fitting into a format that might like it a little bit more. Um, just because of how nicely it plays with the whole uh, treasure theme. Because there's going to be a lot of situations in Limited where you have a whole bunch of treasure and you're like, oh, I have 15 mana, but I don't care because I've already curved out and I don't play 15 drops in my deck. So this kind of gives you an outlet for those treasure that you get. If if there is a deck that allows you to generate a lot of treasure, um, this gives you a good use for those cards. Um, This also becomes a lot better in Limited if there's a bunch of active trees in effect or at least a good one at common. Because being able to steal your opponent's creatures and then throw them at their face is always nice. Um, do I think it's going to have any implications outside of limited? Probably not. Unless there's like some blue-red treasure deck in standard that somehow wants this. Because um, there was that counterspell that was spoiled that would generate a whole bunch of treasures. And there's a few other cards that are good at generating treasures, but I don't think this is going to have any impact in Standard. But I do think it's a card that will see play in Limited in some decks. Yeah, I agree. This is not... There's almost no way that this set... In this set, that this card is an auto-include in every deck where you're playing red. But I agree that in decks where you can create lots of tokens... Um, it's kind of like if your deck wants a Lava Axe that's maybe a little more flexible or there's like a lot of X ones in the format or there's a lot of great removal in the format then a card like this starts to get a little bit better or like you said if there's Active Treason so yeah I'm pretty much on board with that I would be surprised though if I'm drafting decks where this card is what I'm looking for but it'll 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 heavily depend honestly it'll heavily depend on on the toughness of, of these creatures like there's got to be a lot of X ones in the format for me to kind of get excited about something that's like be down a card and then be down another card to deal one damage. There is and- one thing that I just thought about. Sorry to cut you off there, up. No, please do. This pairs super nicely with Enrage. Is that the mechanic? Oh, you can poke your you own. You can guys. poke your own stuff with this. So there will be kind of a crossover where it's good in Dino decks and it's good in Treasure decks. Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad that you came to that conclusion before we finished the cast. Now we so we don't look like idiots? Like idiots. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, maybe that makes more sense. It'll be interesting to see, like, is this a card you want there or not? Like, how insane is this with the uncommon 2-3 that Rampant grows whenever it's enraged? Well, I mean, you have to sacrifice stuff, though. Like... Yeah, but if you make treasure, it turns all of your treasures into Rampant Growths. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's pretty that's gross. <laughs> your, your lotus petals become real lands. Yeah, I just, I just wonder, like, is this card worse or better than Ryle, which is just like red, deal one damage to a creature you control, 
It gains trample, draw a card. Right, right. Like, I think in the dedicated Enrage decks, you'd rather have Ryle. But in decks that are kind of wishy-washy and maybe have Treasure and Dinos, this is a thing. Yeah. That would be my guess. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, it, it's difficult to say at this point. We need to see the whole set, but... If there's an enchantment that's, like, Bitter Blossom for treasures... Oh, there is. There is. There's a red one. That makes treasures every um, turn? Yep. It's a Trove of Temptation. It's three and a red. Each opponent must tack you or a Planeswalker you control with at least one creature each combat if able. At the beginning of your end step, make a Lotus Petal. Oh, okay. So, so it actually works like the turn it comes into play, which is kind of useful. So yeah, I guess... I mean, I guess if you get, like, you know, two late Trove of Temptations in pack one, and you see this make <laughs> you just... You, you got a like, plan. You have a plan. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, okay. kind of a role player <laughs> limited, but not a not a all star on its own. All right. Well, we figured out the Goblin Slide deck of the format real early, so that's nice. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, really excited. Um, pretty cool that people think it's saucy and limited, and that they're going to try it. Once again, Ben's putting out the good content, saying that he'll he'll test it on nonsense munitions anointing procession deck. Um Watsy probably printed a thing that was like enraged make two treasures and you just go pseudo infant. And I wish yeah, I want to see a lot of treasures. That's what I said on the last show, and hopefully we will see treasures more than I see bricks. Anointing procession doubles your treasures, right? Ooh. <laughs> there's a there's a deck. We did it. <laughs> you just need no wait that, there's no infinite though I just need my opponent to not do anything for the first six turns so I can get set up <laughs> if cool. in effect would create one or more tokens under your control it creates twice that many of those tokens instead it definitely works with treasures there we go format solved broken. now let's talk about some broken cards <laughs> Go ahead, go ahead. Growing Rights of Itlamok. I probably didn't say that correctly. Anyways, it's a two and a green legendary enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you look at the top four cards of your library, and you can choose a creature card from among them and put it into your hand, put the rest on the bottom in any order. And then at the beginning of your end step, if you control four more creatures, transform Growing Rights of Itlamok. And it transforms into a Gaius Cradle, it also just taps strip taps for a green. So you don't even have to have any creatures uh, in play. And I feel like this card is completely nuts. Um, especially in, in decks where like you can make tokens. So like stuff with Whirler Virtuoso, um, or like other anointed procession decks that are maybe uh, like I don't know, like these Crested Sun Mirror or whatever, like these things were going like pretty wide with tokens, like Oketra's Monument type decks where you can just like go wide really quickly like this thing can get out of control real fast and produce a lot of mana and you get that mana immediately like you get your creature and then if you already have four you know four dudes in play it just flips right like it exiles itself and transforms it comes into play untapped as a add x to your mana pool or x green where green is the number of creatures you have so if you can utilize that mana on your opponent's turn it's like kind of real good uh, as a ramp spell. So it'll be interesting to see how this ends up shaking out in standard, but I really hate it when Watsy tries to like shoehorn broken effects 
into like new card design because it can only end one way. The card is either completely unplayable or completely busted. <laughs> Very annoying. So there's a reason why they stopped printing Gaius Cradle other than the fact that it's on the reserve list. That's because the card is stupid. And when it goes <laughs> off, no one's interested in playing against it. And uh, yeah, I feel like this might be not as potent, but it, it's definitely very good. Um, and drawing the second copy is like not a bad thing to do, since you're probably in a very creature-centric deck anyways. So you just get to like impulse for another creature. And then also, you probably tapped your first Itlamok for like six mana or whatever. And now on your opponent's turn, you get a new one. They tapped for six mana. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that card's pretty cool. good. <laughs> There's a blue card that I'm excited about. The Spell Swindle. The counterspell for... And then you get X treasures, where X is the the number, or the CMC, the converted mana cost of the card that you countered. Yes. Um, this card seems really good. Like, it just... It, it gives you a lot of mana very quickly, and allows you to do weird things like... Like, if you play this on turn 5 and counter their 5-drop, on your next turn, you can cast Overwhelming... What is it called? Overwhelming Insight, which is a draw 7, and still have 5 mana open. To cast your next counter spell, to counter their next spell and get 6 mana. Like, that's a real... That's a real powerful thing to be doing in in Standard, right? Like, that's that's no joke, so... I feel yeah, like this counterspell opens up a lot of avenues for blue decks in standard. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a four of or whatever, but it's like uh, the torrential gear hulks were playing like one or two confirmed suspicions before, mm-hmm. where you like draw three cards off the three. Uh, you get three clues right when you counter a spell. And it's like any instant is sweet with gear hulk. So, um, yeah, I mean, this just kind of allows you to to play anything you want with counter backup. Yeah, I think. Uh, I'll be trying Nickel Bolas probably is where I'm going to start. Yeah, Nickel <laughs> Looking Bolas to, like, is good. Turn 5 counter literally anything and then just like play Nickel Bolas with Negate backup and be probably pretty happy about that. Or Spell Pierce now too, right? Spell Pierce. Spell Pierce this is like is turn 6, man. Yeah. I don't want Spell Pierce in my control deck. You want Spell Pierce in your in your pi- blue black pirates deck so that you can like you know, advance your board while you're countering their uh, fumigate. Uh, unless you want to be spell piercing your opponent's spell swindles. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> realistically, right? <laughs> is dispel still legal? I guess it's not. Yeah, maybe spell pierce will. Uh, spell pierce is going to see plain standard. There's no way it's not going to see plain standard. Oh, I mean, it's always going to be plays. Yeah, I'm not sure like where where it was going to be. Yeah, but yeah, I think that I'm, card... I'm uh, confused. I'm like reading the card, and I'm like, I feel like I'm reading it wrong because it feels absolutely bonkers. Um, Which one, Gaze Cradle or Mandadrain? A spell swindle, isn't it? Like a, it's like a rewind on drugs. No, like it's it's Mandadrain, but you get the the mana as Lotus Petals, which is ridiculous. I mean. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah, I mean it's no joke. Oh, maybe I can just counter a like a four drop or five drop and just like play Herald of Anguish times two on turn six or something. I just I want wow. that. Wow, <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> Yeah, it's really good with improvise. <laughs> right now, for some reason, I'm, you guys are talking about Spell Pierce. I'm like daydreaming about if Spell Pierce existed in the uh, blue-white Flash and Marvel formats. 
I could keep one up to counter a Marvel and just completely blow them out. Marvel probably would not have been banned if Spell Pierce was in that format. Or imagine my like turn two copter being Spell Pierce, man. I would feel yeah. so owned. <laughs> yeah, instead they had revolutionary rebuff. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, it did something, but it wasn't. Card's still legal. I, I don't know. Maybe that card's not. It's, the, it's just not flexible enough, right? That was the difference. Is that it wasn't also countering Doom Blade effects? Or like uh, one draw question about stuff. growing rights, Rob? Was it? Do you think it's modern playable potentially? Uh, I, I don't know. Like you, you don't get the effect right away, right? So you have to wait like a full turn cycle before the land flips. So. I'm not sure that you can afford that time uh, in modern, so probably not. But I think that it's definitely standard playable. I wonder if it would fit as a one of or whatever. And like, I'm just spitballing here, like like a company deck. Oh, so else you can take advantage of the mana right away. Oh, on your opponent's turn. Oh, you just like birds, noble, dork, play this, play something, flip it. And have like six mana on your opponent's turn and like cord or cast coco. Uh probably reaching, but like you can I don't know. You can also get a combo no a top four, I mean, I don't know. Just spitballing. I think asking for you to have four cards or four creatures in play is a big ask for modern, right? I think that's that's the, the challenge this card's gonna see. Maybe you just jam it into affinity and then you just play huge walking ballistas like a boss. <laughs> that's so bad. <laughs> No, I think it's I think it's gonna be relegated to kind of like Oketra's Monument type combo decks where or, or like anointed procession decks where you're just like this card is in a mainstay in your early game, you just play it and then your following turn just becomes like completely insane. You just like dump your hand to overrun or, or whatever, like use Ronus to make something just completely, you know, insanely large and just smash your opponent. I feel like that that's kind of where where it is. Or the card will be just completely terrible, in which case I'm still correct that broke. They try to shoehorn these cards into into standard in weird ways, and they're either busted or terrible. I like how you picked a, an evaluation that allows you to be right in any kind. No, no, there's no middle ground, Vince. There's no middle ground. There's not like this card is in a deck and it's like pretty good. No one's like, oh yeah, it's okay. You're like, eh, whatever. It's either like, oh yeah, this card's absurd, or uh, the, the card's unplayable. Fair. Right. Any other cards? Or should we call it a show? I have one other card that I want to give like Go an ahead, honorable Vince. mention to. Uh, Bellowing Aegisaur. It's a 6 mana, 5 and a white for a 3-5 dino with Enrage. Whenever it's dealt damage, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on each other creature you control. Uh, this card's really good with Walking Ballista. Like, really good with Walking Ballista. So you have one Walking Ballista in play. You get to do a bunch of fun stuff with this card, right? Because you can just jam paying your guy like a whole bunch of times and do a bunch of unfair things. If you have like two ballistas in play, or you have like a winding constrictor and a ballista in play, things get out of hand pretty quick. So You just need a ballista, this, and literally any other creature. Well, And that creature becomes infinitely large. No, 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 because your, your Aegisaur will die, right? So you need... Oh, it's each other! Yeah, you need... If you want to go actual infinite, you need two of them. But it's still pretty powerful for what's going on, right? Like, even in, like, a, I'm imagining, like, a black-green deck or sort of like a green-white tokens deck, some kind of, you know, reiteration of that deck with a Nissa, and you, like, have a bunch of plant tokens, you have a Ballista, and then you just play this and just plus five, plus five your entire team. 
right? Uh, well, you, you just kill selfless him. spirit. Selfless spirit needs to be legal for you, Vince. Yeah, you can I mean, control. you can go infinite, but it's also just need very a ten good card anyway. combo. We so, need a ten card combo. It's what the people have asked for. I could see this being a one or two of in a deck with four walking ballistas and a bunch of or a deck that goes wide with uh, walking ballistas. All right, I think you're on drugs. Okay. Um, but that's fine. We'll see. we'll see. <laughs> it's a thing, man. Uh, it's real. Okay, maybe just one last point: the planeswalkers. So I think Hualli is like probably not great. I think that in decks that are playing red and white, you're gonna want four Chandra, and I you're probably gonna want Glorybringer in your five drop slot. So. Like maybe it's like a one or two over in the board, but I I don't think this card is like a mainstay of standard. Frasca, on the other hand, I've seen people talk about. I've seen lots of chatter uh, that Vraska's terrible and Wadley's amazing, and I think it's pretty much just the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I think Vraska's really good. I think going to eight loyalty on turn six is really really annoying, given that it creates a two two uh, creature, and that creature has menace, so it's like. I don't know, it's kind of reasonable, I guess. And it also can, like, smite a lot of difficult-to-deal-with cards, like Artifact Creature or Enchantment. And you get a treasure for your uh, for your troubles there. And it, her ultimate is also just, you know, very good. And I assume that you're playing Walking Ballista in your Black-Green decks, so if she ever goes off, you probably just, like, kill your opponent that turn. So You've also made two 2-2 two, two bonuses. <laughs> so yeah, they're yeah. probably dead. Minus 10 win the game. Or just like I, I don't know, this card de- demands an immediate answer. So I think that's why it's good. Where Hawatli doesn't, a five mana card that that creates a three three every turn is not is not busted, especially when the the um, the ultimate or I guess if that's what you want to call it is like not really threatening the threatening you in any meaningful way. I mean, for the most part, I think the big difference is that. Braska's at eight after making tokens. Watley's at what three? At three, yeah. Yeah, like a three is better than a two-two minutes, but your Watley's dying to lightning strike, whereas your Braska's not dying. Like it's just not dying. So that's I think that's the big reason why I think Braska's better, and I agree with you. Yeah, so I'm interested to to test out Braska in the new iteration of black green constrictor i guess that'll be the deck or energy constrictor i think she slots in there nicely to top off the curve after uh Verterous cure hulk Alrighty. i think i think that's good for for this show now the chat the chat's getting to me sorry guys i'm zoning out <laughs> <laughs> also because because uh our, our spoiler cards got got posted on reddit even oh, yeah. though I said I don't want that, but uh, <laughs> the life. fact that you made a cool backdrop, Vince, when you click on it, it's got like the Does first it say strike, first strike? And, and on Reddit. It, it, like he, he screenshotted the whole thing. So it's like wow, the two cards perfect. in the first strike, and it looks kind of boss. It's not. Uh, it, it looks like we, unlike other people, streamers who who got their spoilers and just put it on like over their them playing MTGO. I think nice. You got it. <laughs> I like that. Okay, so huge shouts to Vince. And uh, wow, we'll call it a show. Um, shout out to our First Strike Nation producers uh, Jonathan Good, Kyle Smirchik, Derek Pite, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Merchants, Isaiah Carrero, and others that wish to remain unnamed, but uh, you guys mean the world to me. 
and the cast. And we're going to be back next Monday as usual. I am going to look into getting to Providence, trying to form a last minute team here. And then, of course, there's nationals in the middle of October that I am sort of helping with website stuff and, and, and uh, making sure that people know about it. Uh, the main event package is pretty sweet. Get a lot of sweet ultimate gear, gear, uh, gear ultimate guard swag. So uh, make sure to come out for that. The, the cap is 700 people. I don't know. Like I've heard some tournaments in Toronto, like the WMCQ hit a ton of people. So maybe that 700 isn't that outrageous. Um, probably looking at four or 500 people possibly, especially with people flying in. I think more, just because for WMCQ, people are like, oh, well, I just play the one that's local, and if I miss, I miss. People will probably fly out for nationals, so man, I might be surprised at the turnout. So make sure you pre-register if you haven't already at mtgnationals.ca. 500 people? I, I think. I imagine. No, like, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's because be like bigger. WMCQ in Toronto were cra- like was crazy. WMCQ in Montreal not so much, but like that's to be expected. Like Toronto and Alberta are just places where you get infinite people. Uh, when we held our face-to-face games, Calgary Open, it hit the cap. We capped it at one ninety online, one ninety-two, and we had to find space so that two hundred people that drove hours and didn't know about online pre-reg or maybe or maybe they knew about it but didn't think it would cap. We had to make extra space for them. So, man, Magic is being really popular in these pockets. And I I feel like if we had a venue in Calgary open to 400 people, 300, 400, I'm not really sure, um, yeah, what the total would be. Whereas before, in some areas, you're just happy to to hit 100. In these areas, it's, like, really, really surprising uh, how many people you can get. Is it a a one-day event? It's a two-day event, uh, but there are side events on Fridays. So. You got that. Now it might be confusing to people because in like a Grand Prix, everyone can play. It's open. You got your nationals trials where you can win two buys, which is really powerful. Or if you're not even qualified, you got your nationals qualifiers and there's two of them on Fridays. So especially if you're in Toronto, you didn't know about nationals before. You didn't know that you had to collect all these planeswalker points. Or if you're tagging along with friends from Montreal, driving in from different places, you can still qualify. Uh, There's two qualifiers uh, for you on Friday. So it's basically like we're making it as big as a GP event with different side events and stuff like that. So definitely come and check it out. And hopefully Rob or someone I know makes it to the national team and joins Eduardo Sajalik at the World Magic Cup as he is the uh, World Magic or like Team Canada captain. So, alrighty, that does it for us. Shout out to Vince again, this looks awesome. And we will see you next week. 